0: And now we have a tradition at Christmas, when we're all together, when we can actually meet, that we, uh, on Christmas night, we play uh, games at mum and dad's. And dad had has, uh, anybody who knows uh, our dad, he has a legendary tray game, uh, where you have, to, you have to remember things covered over by a tea towel. Now, who would think that a little game like that would make us happy? But it does, it does. And the thing is that it's because we're all together. Every country has traditions that are unique to us. Think about bonfire night for us, or Thanksgiving in the States. On those days, we meet the people we love. We eat special food, we do special things. It gives us a a sense of connectedness, of oneness. Now I want you to think about us as a church. What traditions do we have? It might depend on the church you grew up in. Uh, In the church we grew up in, we used to have like anniversary weekends that were like special weekends in the church and things would happen differently on those days. Do we have certain ways of doing things? And then when anybody asks why we do it like that, we don't really have an answer. It's just that we always do them like that. Traditions can be good, can't they? They can remind us what's important, but sometimes they can prevent us from seeing what God's priorities are. Because we think they're important, we presume that God thinks of them in the same way. And that's what we're going to look at today. So remember that our theme for this teaching series is upside, the upside down kingdom. The way Jesus turned on its, head, on its head all the traditions that the culture of his day thought were normal. Or they thought, they just presumed it was the way that um, God wanted things doing. And today we're going to look at upside down worship. And when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus could come into conflict a lot with the scribes and Pharisees. These were the teachers of the law. They viewed things differently to Jesus. They assumed that because they were the teachers of the law, that they had an inside track into what God thought was important. And one of the issues that caused the most conflict if you read through the Gospels, was how they viewed the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath was given as a gift from God as the Israelites entered the Promised Land after they'd been slaves in Egypt. They didn't have any rest at all. So the Sabbath was intended to be a reminder that it's not our work that supplies our needs, but our needs are supplied by God as an act of grace. It's fantastic! But in order to make this priority, what they've done is that they have hedged it around with a whole set of extra rules, just in case a person got near to breaking the actual commandment. Who made up the rules? The teachers of the law. Now we always think of the Pharisees as the bad guys in the gospels, and often they were. But what started out as an attempt to honor God became a matter of pride for them and judgmentalism against people who they thought were keeping the same commandment as good as them. They considered the man-made law as important as the actual commandment, completely missing the point of why God had given the commandment in the first place. So today, this morning, we're going to look at two incidents when Jesus came into conflict with the scribes and Pharisees regarding uh, regarding the Sabbath. Uh, So so we're going to read from Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. "'But the Pharisees said to Jesus, "'Look, why are they breaking the law "'by harvesting grain on the Sabbath?' "'Jesus said to them, "Have not you ever read in the Scriptures "'what David did when he and his companions were hungry? "'He went into the house of God "'during the days when Abiathar was high priest "'and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread "'that only the priests were allowed to eat. "'He also gave some to his companions.' Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and said, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So why were the Pharisees getting into such a tiz? Because even though the commandment said to keep the Sabbath holy by doing no work, Moses hadn't given any specifics. It was Jewish tradition that stated that there were 39 forbidden activities on the Sabbath, and the third one of them was reaping. So the Pharisees interpreted the picking of this grain to eat as as reaping, which they viewed as a legal activity. How does Jesus respond with a question? He refers back to a story in 1 Samuel 21, where David takes the presence bread that was laid out on a table before God in the tabernacle every Sabbath. He eats it and gives it to his companions to eat because they were hungry. Now, Jesus, the son of David, had taken food, eaten it and given it to his disciples on the Sabbath. Here, Jesus is saying that human need is more important (laughs) than ritual. He's challenging the Pharisees to choose between human need and religious reputation. Jesus doesn't defend the breaking of the Sabbath. He just points out that human need is a bigger principle here. As if to reiterate this, we see in the next incident the same principle. Jesus sees a man in the synagogue with a deformed hand. Jesus' heart goes out to the man and he heals him. But look what the Pharisees were doing. Verse 2 says they watched him closely. Jesus, it was like Jesus being under surveillance. Why? Because the teaching of the Pharisees only allowed healing on the Sabbath if life was in danger. If you weren't about to die, you had to wait for a weekday in order for God to show his power by healing you. It sounds ridiculous to us, doesn't it? Has God ever said this? No, not at all. He'd never, ever specified that rule. Look at Jesus' question in verse 4 of chapter 3. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? Jesus here, what was he doing? He was exposing the narrowness of their man-made rule by asking them if the Sabbath is there for doing good or doing evil. If it's for doing good, how can healing not come into that category? He was turning their man-made tradition on its head. But there's something a bit much bigger here than whether Jesus is breaking Sabbath rules. It's a heart issue, isn't it? On another occasion, uh, later in Mark, and recorded recording some other Gospels as well, Jesus is at loggerheads with the Pharisees over ceremonial hand-washing. And this time jesus doesn't pull any punches this is how he responds in mark 7 verse 6 to 7 you hypocrites he says isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from god Can you imagine being told that as a Pharisee? You, who are an expert in the law, you who are seen as the religious elite, you who think you have an inside track into what God thinks, you are called hypocrites, actors, pretending to honour God, but the reality of it is that your heart is far from him. Your worship is a farce because you put man-made ideas on a par with what God wants and in many cases have completely ignored what God views as important in order to make you look good or superior. No wonder they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now, do you remember uh, a few weeks ago when I talked about these inverted ladders in the upside down kingdom? And um, I I said that they're, they're in operation here because I remember I said that something that viewed high on the world's ladder would view low on God's kingdom ladder and vice versa. And they're in operation here between man's traditions and God's truth. Outward forms of rule keeping keep us in bondage. They tie us up in knots trying to keep them. But inward faith brings liberty for us through God's grace. The world's kingdoms makes much of rules. God's kingdom focuses on guiding principles. The world's kingdom celebrates outward piety, the the thing of people looking good. God's kingdom tells us that it's all about inward holiness. The world's kingdom says, let's make our own rules. But God's kingdom says, let's exalt the word of God. Let's see what his word says on a particular issue. So when we read, accounts of jesus interactions with the pharisee we're usually thinking yeah you tell them jesus but remember if we're pointing a finger at someone else there's always three fingers pointing back at us we can criticize the pharisees for their attitudes can't we but do we do the same do we consider our traditions or our take on situations as god's view without actually finding out what god thinks about it through scripture Or do we bend scripture to make it fit our view? Are we more concerned about the upholding of our favorite rule than seeking to extend the kingdom of God? To show people's, to show God's love to people who might be different to us? What about our worship? Do we think because we prefer one style of worship, then God must prefer that one too? Uh, one summer, uh, I went to Peru as part of an Open Doors team, and um, in, uh, Peruvian Christians had experienced a lot of persecution about ten years earlier than when I went. And uh, we went to sort of um, to uh, to encourage the Peruvian believers. Now, being in a Peruvian worship service was something else. I don't, I don't speak Spanish very well at all, so I didn't really know what was going on, but it was something else. The, Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit was there. Now, on the way home, me and my friend spent a week in, uh, in the States, in Georgia, staying with a friend of hers. And on the, on the Sunday we were there, we went to their church, very, very formal, very, very different to Peru. And my friend and I were talking afterwards, comparing the two, the two services. And what she said really challenged me. She said, it might be different, but if it glorifies God, God likes it all. Just because it's not my preference doesn't mean to say that it's not God's preference. Or oh, how about this one? We like to have a quiet time in the morning. And so because we assume that that is good for us, do we assume that that's the most spiritual thing to do? Or because we like to pray in a certain way, we assume that God will listen to our prayers in preference to someone else who prays differently to us. Or because we consider our area of ministry to be the most important do we assume that God agrees? So we can get tied up in our traditions, our ideas, our preferences, and project them onto God. And what we're really doing is we're only really worshipping our ideas. And I asked uh, Bruce if we could sing Heart of Worship this morning because I love the background to this song. Uh, this song was written by uh, Matt Redmond, Uh, who's a a very famous uh, Christian uh, songwriter, Uh, but it was written in the late 1990s. And he, uh, he he was part of a church in Watford, and the church was going through a bit of a tough time. Now, in the world's kingdom, they were really, really successful. They had a massive congregation. Their worship team were writing songs that were being sung all around the world. But they realized that something was missing. So the pastor, uh, a great guy, he's a great guy, called Mike Pilavachi. Uh, Peter, I think you quoted him, uh, you quoted him yesterday morning um, on the the, uh, Facebook page. Mike Pilavachi asked his congregation, what were they bringing to God in worship? Were they just consumers or were they really worshiping? So for some weeks, the music faded no music they sang unaccompanied they had times of silence they prayed together and they rediscovered what worship was really about it's all about jesus and the song the heart of worship came out of that period of time it's not our traditions or our good ideas or our man-made rules that matter it's all about him now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not suggesting that we stop worshipping God through a song, not at all. What I'm saying is that we are reassess what our traditions, our ideas, our priorities are, and bring them in line with God's ideas and his priorities. So how do we do that? What is upside down worship? How can we make sure Jesus is at the centre of our worship? How can we make sure that it's all about Jesus and not about us? The answer, I think, is in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm sure we know these verses. I'm going to read them in the uh, the NIV. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will so remember if we've got a therefore we need to know what it's there for and in Romans 1 through 11, Paul has been explaining to the Roman Christians that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And now he's urging the Christians in Rome to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. Now, what does this mean? In the uh, English Standard Version, the word offer is, tri- is, is translated as present it, com- it commands a definite commitment. It's a bit like if you are married, it's just like those vows that you said are in during your, your wedding service. As part of your vow, if you're married this morning, you said that everything that you are and everything that you have is now your husband or your wife's. So in the context of Romans 12 verse 1, Paul is encouraging the Christians in Rome to give everything that they are and everything that they have to God, to be completely at God's disposal, to be willing to obey him in every area of our life, giving him the best of us, not our leftovers, not out of fear, but out of love. To be a living sacrifice means to daily give our lives as an offering to him. As the verse says, this is our true and proper worship. True worship stems from acknowledging how how great God's mercies are towards us, how much we're forgiven, how much we're loved, despite our desire all the time to run our own show, how we want to project our own ideas to God. Now, how do we do this? How do we offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Paul tells us in verse two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is what the Pharisees weren't getting in their desire to keep their man-made Sabbath rules they were keeping the sabbath rules on the outside when their hearts when their hearts were being disobedient to god on the inside and they were imposing their superficial holy veneer on others and paul is saying that the worldly kingdoms will tell you what to think and how to behave to conform instead of doing that Let God transform your mind. Now, the word he uses for transform is a bit like our word uh, metamorphosis. Just like a uh, a caterpillar metamorphoses, I think that's the right word, into a butterfly from the inside out, we're transformed in being more like Christ. True upside down worship means letting God transform the way we think, which affects what we do. What we feel, what we say. So at any point of any sermon, I'm thinking, always thinking, well, that's great, but how? How do I I do that? How do I do that on Monday morning? Here's a suggestion when we wake up tomorrow, before we get out of bed, offer to the Lord each part of our body, our mind. Offering your mind so he can transform the way we think, so God's wisdom might be imparted to us for that day. Offering our eyes so that we might see people and situations as Jesus sees them. I know I definitely need that when I'm dealing with year 11 tomorrow. Our hands so that what we do is pleasing to the Lord and what Jesus would do if he was living our life. Our mouths. So our words are honouring to him by what we say and the way we say it and maybe why, but we don't say. Our feet so that God will lead us to people who need to experience God's grace in their lives. Our heart so we can feel God's love, not just for ourselves, but for people we rub shoulders with. So before your day starts tomorrow, try it, offer Think about your body and go to each part of your body and offer them as a sacrifice to God for that day. Now, when I and Simon and me got married, uh, we made vows to each other on the 27th of December 2008. And it was till death was due part. The vow didn't stop at midnight on the 28th of December. And if we are married, the vows that we made on our married day have to be continually lived out, don't they? to be continually worked on through the stresses and strains of life and it's the same with offering our bodies as living sacrifices it has to be done on a day-to-day basis so what happens on monday morning before we get out of bed or whenever we speak to god has to happen on tuesday and wednesday and every day after that christ guess what Christ at the center of our lives, displaying the values of his upside-down kingdom. Now, if everyone was doing that, guess what? Christ's kingdom will be displayed in our church. And guess what? If we're seeing people as God sees them and loving them in the way God loves them, then God's kingdom will spreading into our communities and into our world. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the possibilities that that might bring. A small group of people in MCC honoring God with every part of their lives and as a church, then seeing God's kingdom come. I'm excited about the possibilities of that. I'm excited about the people that could be reached by people doing that. I'm excited about the lives that could be transformed and the, and the glory of God's kingdom that could be displayed all because a small group of people in Berry decided to offer their bodies to God as their true and proper worship. Romans 12, 1-2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Let's pray. Father, we offer to you today our bodies as living sacrifices. We don't want to conform to the worldly kingdoms, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want to do the things that you would have us do. We want to see people in the way that you would see them. We want to say the things that are going to bless people. We want to think the way that you would have us think. We want to do this, Lord, so that your kingdom is advanced. Lord, help us, we pray, to live every day as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This is our spiritual act of worship. Help us, Lord, not to um, put our traditions or our way of doing things as um, as the gold standard. Lord, help us to see what you would ha- would be important. Help us to put your will before our traditions, Lord. We pray.